Welcome, episode 23 of the the Grand Geek All Network, coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the CBCU crew. Uh, it, with us tonight is Ivan Shabowski, lover of cheese and convention panelist, and Chris Nigro, who is, of course, uh, Wild Hunt Press's CEO and an author, of course. And you can tell I'm improvising and not reading my notes right now. And I am Robert Ivansky Jr. I write the horror crossover encyclopedia, Southern Crossover Universe, World and Mythology. And I write a pretty swell blog, also coincidentally called Southern Crossover Universe. Where the TVC crew, minus James Boyachuk, who is uh, um, uh, working on other stuff right now, um, he, he may join us uh, later on tonight, or, uh, or he might not. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, so anyways, TBC crew are a team of crossovers. We devote way too much of our time connecting the dots to official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a shared fiction and reality we call the Telgen Crossover Universe. So, um, I need to stop paging up when I mean to scroll down because that's always screws me up. But how are you guys tonight? <laughs> well, I'm here. That counts for something, right? That's right. That's right. I- Ivan, you mm. yeah, yeah, I'm here. I, the the signal's getting a little fuzzy on my end, but I'm I'm all here. I'm I'm okay now. I'm fine. How are you? I I, I am discombobbled. Uh, for the listeners out there, um, this is the first time that none of us are in the studio. Uh, we're, we're all using technology to uh, connect to the studio. Uh, our producer Johnny Wolfenstein is a solo in the studio. Um, so it's a little odd for me to be um, um, recording from my phone from the kitchen table. And, uh, <laughs> in case and if you've ever seen a Stephen King book or movie, you know how evil technology can be. Don't trust <laughs> I Never trust technology. So bouts of awkward silence may ensue. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, Let's let's do our announcements and uh, shameless plugs and shameful plugs and whatever else we want to discuss. Um, um, Chris, why don't you go ahead first? Well, um, I'm <clears throat> proud to announce, if you <clears throat> forgive the narcissism for a bit, that a new anthology is out from Prose Press called Three with a Bullet, and one of my stories is in there. It is called... The Hungry Dead, and it is it features a rather obscure Western hero called the Masked Rider, and he has a faithful Amerindian ally, Blue Hawk. You can tell who they were based off of, and I was proud to do that story. It's my first weird Western, so to speak, and you'll get to see or actually get to read and envision in your mind, if you're so inclined, the Masked Rider and Blue Hawk going off to Devil's Valley and fighting werewolves and zombies and other things that eat people in the night. Cool. Uh, I think that is awesome, and I am really looking forward to getting that book. I, I said that was my story, not someone else's, Ivan. No, no. I actually want to read the story you wrote. 
See, everything's all messed up today. Even Ivan likes Christmas. <laughs> yeah, and I'm and I'm I was so puzzled I couldn't respond. I like some story that I read that you wrote. It happens. Okay, I'm just kind of taking a back. Forgive me, listeners. I mean, it's not Little Dead Riding Hood, right? Right, it's not that. Is there, there a full moon out there tonight where you are? I haven't any chance, you know. And the... Where I am, you, you realize that we're in the same time zone, right? Okay, ouch. What I meant was, <laughs> could you see it where you are? You know, is it shining on you yet? You know, illuminating your uh, window as we speak. Again, same time zone. If she can't see the moon yet, neither can I. Okay, I, I, I best shut up now. What was it from uh, Parks and Recreation, the, the, the guy who plays um, Star-Lord in um, Guardians of the Galaxy? On, in Parks and Recreation, he said, he said to his girlfriend, like, when I'm in England and I'm looking up at the moon, I hope that you're looking up at the moon and thinking of me. Of course, it's not the same moon, of course, but you get the idea. Yeah, I was somehow speaking, I think, that way, yes, because uh, I don't know where he's facing right now. And sometimes before it becomes dark, you can see the moon if you looked in the sky. I know I've seen it, and I was not hallucinating. I don't think I was anyway, but. I have seen the moon in in daytime before, plenty of times. Me too. Yeah. As in, you know, you may be affected by its lunar energies right now, so who knows? You're just not your normal self. If I'm affected by the moon's energy, it does not normally make me change my reading habits. It has a different effect on me than that. Oh, my God. Well, one never knows. So, um, so this is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have, do you have any not... announcements or plugs or anything like that? Uh, no, no, this is my natural hair, but thank you for noticing. <laughs> All right. He, he, he just imitated my, my punniness, I think. That's right. He's stealing your thing. Oh, God. That, that, I can't believe I rub off on people. I can't believe that you haven't been arrested for rubbing off on people. Ew. You know what I meant. Exactly what I meant. Oh, God. All right. I, I'm sure you have something to move on to, Rob, right? Yeah. If James were here, I'm sure he would say something from 18th Wall is coming out today. <laughs> because something is always coming out from 18th Wall, because they seem to be very busy. Um, fact, I think it's fair to say that some author from 18th Wall has been nominated for some award at some point recently, because that happens all the time. Right, right. So um, check out 18thwall.com, check out their blog, check, check out their announcements. Um, and I just wanted to plug a friend of mine, and that came out really bad, too. <laughs> so, um... As long as it's consensual, that's all I care about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read real quick their promo, and then I'm going to talk about it. Um, this, is, this is from their, their official announcement. JL May begins. One epic team, one epic series, one epic month, eight podcasts, one epic crossover. For the entire month of May, eight podcasts on the Fire and Water Podcast Network are reviewing JLA Year One. It's awesome. You should check them out. Those are my words, by the way, the last two lines. <laughs> they didn't say it's awesome. <laughs> uh, the shows involved um, are all on iTunes. Um, the shows are Fire and Water, Power Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, Lantern Cast, 
Supermate, Battlehead of Diablo, uh, Comic Reflections, Reviews from the Long Box. So each each of these podcasts is reviewing one or two issues of JLA Year One. Um, and it makes sense, eight members of the team, eight uh, uh, podcasts, all uniting for a common goal. Uh, so it's pretty cool. It's a podcast crossover. Um, I've been listening to it so far. Uh, by the time this comes out, it'll be halfway over. But the great thing about iTunes is you can, you can check them out anytime. You don't, so it doesn't matter. Uh, go back, listen to them in order, unless, unless you're weird. <laughs> And you want to listen to them out of order. It's a cool thing. Sounds good. Awesome sauce. I mean, I it's know. a crossover, and it's it's blogs. So you know, we, we know guys. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's, it's a cool. It's a it's a it's an intercompany crossover of sorts in a network. You know, it's even more amazing. And it and it's about, you know, a, a ser- you know retelling of a series that where where eight different series came together, so which itself was a crossover. Yeah, so it's a crossover that's about crossovers. Exactly. Wow. Lord, yeah. And now it's being discussed on a show about crossovers. How meta. <laughs> I haven't said Deadpool to break in. <laughs> yeah, if Ryan Reynolds shows up, well, if Ryan Reynolds shows up, he can just take over the show. <laughs> but, so how come nobody's talking about Green Lantern? Huh? Nothing. Just thinking that that's probably what Deadpool would be saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, his Green Lantern's in JLA year one. Yeah, yeah, Green Lantern was there. He wasn't played by Ryan Reynolds in that, though. Yeah. I, I, speaking of which, I heard Matt Damon is going to be playing Hal Jordan. Well, that's fun. Well, actually, actually, what 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 the article said was um, that Warner Brothers said that Hal Jordan will be about the age of Matt Damon. They didn't say that it was Matt Damon playing Hal Jordan, but it was a really specific reference. <laughs> That, that is kind of specific. We're not saying he's this old. We're not saying he's that old. We're saying he's as old as this one actor. Hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and considering... I would so love them to go with a different Green Lantern. You know, just ignore Hal. He had his moment on the big screen, and uh, I think we'd all like to watch them take out of our mouths. Well, what, the, what I've also heard is it's going to involve... Um, um, Hal, John Stewart, and Kyle Rayner, and Kyle Rayner is going to be the new guy. So I really have a feeling that Green Lantern Corps is going to be about Kyle Rayner's story. I would love so, that to be the case. I hope but it won't. But there. it won't be Kyle Rayner's story from the comics because no, could possibly as him being the only Green Lantern. So, um, but but I, I feel that he'll be our he'll be our. Um, our eyes into the world of the Green Lanterns, you know. What about Kilowog? I hope he'll be there. Well, I, I think all of the the other ones will be there. It's just those are the only three 
Green Lantern from Earth that will be in it, which kind of sucks that Guy Gardner will not be in it. But those poosers, why didn't they include Guy Gardner? Yeah. I mean, he's the one true Green Lantern. The one true. He's so green, he's yellow. All right. Um, so we need to move on because we have Dave Elliott uh, waiting waiting in the sidelines. He he actually had asked if he could listen to our intro, and I was like, no. Because <laughs> I didn't want to torment him with this. <laughs> I just even want to be part of that. Come on. Yeah. It was the first time that somebody asked me if they could be part of our intro segment to listen in. But uh, we had already actually started recording when he Skyped me asking. So it wasn't like I was like, no. But uh, I was like, well. Well, let's go ahead and do the commercial so he can actually be on the show. Yeah, yeah. So let's go to commercial break. And when we come back. We will have uh, the legendary Dave Elliott on the show. So we'll be right back. Hey, we're back. So, our guest tonight is Dave Elliott from the Waiting Willows comic book. The Waiting Willows from A1 is a new take on classic fairy tales and literary horror. I first discovered it when I was doing my research for the horror crossover encyclopedia. It's loaded with crossovers and handles classic stories respectfully while also reinventing them. So it's my pleasure to welcome Dave Elliott. Welcome to the show, Dave. Oh, thank you. Uh, glad to be here. So, um, first I wanted to, first since Weirding Willows is uh, where I first found you, that's where I'm going to start the questioning, though we're going to hit your other works too. Um, so, um, since I wanted to start there, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the Weirding Willows was all about? Yeah, um, well, The Weirding Willows was something where it kind of came out of another idea I'd had. And it was, uh, originally I had this uh, completely different concept for using public domain characters. It was, I was writing an outline for a feature film that was going to be, uh, it was my version of Phantom of the Opera Mm -hmm. um, with Sherlock Holmes and Dracula because I was doing some research, I was looking into the books, and they were kind of within a year or two all written about the same time. And I loved the fact that Gaston LaRue, who wrote um, Phantom of the Opera, was originally a police detective. So that was like, oh, well, I can actually put Gaston LaRue in there. And so I've got a real character in with fiction, (laughs) in the story that he wrote. Um, And it was kind of set in that period where Sherlock Holmes is officially dead, but he's making his way back to London. So because he's a uh, Gaston's a policeman, they meet in London, uh, they meet in Paris, rather. And Gaston knows that Sherlock wants to keep quiet, but at the same time, there's this mystery at the opera house that he wants to bring Sherlock in. So it was around that time that I was thinking about all these public domain characters and... uh, I started thinking of all these others and like, wow, yeah, my, my mind started going about how I could like connect some of these characters. And that meant going back and rereading a ton of these old books. And I remember when I went back to read them, I remembered that they, they didn't quite live up to the expectations that I remembered because, you know, they were written at a different time and, you know, some of them were serialized and I realized that there was a ton of information missing from these books. Like, 
so many of these authors would have a story in their heads that they wanted to tell. And so if you go back and read these books, the characters that they put in them weren't actually super fleshed out. And they certainly didn't put much backstory in. So when you look at Alice from Alice in Wonderland, for instance, you never meet her parents. You don't know what her last name is. You kind of know she's got an older sister, but that's about it. Uh, and then all these other characters like Dr. Moreau, well, he doesn't have a first name. You don't know what his backstory is. You, you know, his assistant on the island who's called just Montgomery, and you don't know anything else about him other than he brings the animals into for Dr. Moreau to experiment on the island. And I found, to me, that's a hole. That's a plot hole. It's like, you know, it, it means you haven't really fleshed out the characters well, but it also means that that's, there's a ton of room to expand upon. So when I started thinking about doing a crossover for these characters, I started realizing I could actually, without, uh, you know, with keeping faithful to the material, source material, I could fill in some blanks in these characters' histories by actually interweaving them with one another. So, you know, the best example is the main characters. If you, if you go back and you read um, Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, Alice is a very forthright young girl. Right. She's, she takes a lot of what she sees in her stride. And I was kind of thinking, because again, the other thing, you know, when, when you're just taking one character, you know, like if you look at Disney's adaptations of Alice in Wonderland, you have to kind of, well, you're, 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 you're having to make that decision. Is, is this story actually happening? Is this just a whole dream sequence? Has she banged her head? Has she actually fallen asleep on the riverbank and she's just dreaming? But when you're bringing all these characters together, you know, I was looking at it like, well, I, I really have to make this real. This is a real story. This is the, Alice's trip to Wonderland actually happened, and Alice reacted the way she did. So what would cause her to, what would have in her life have made her reacted in such a way that she would take so much of what she sees in Wonderland in her stride? And that's when I came upon the idea of, well, if her father was Dr. Moreau, she's seen a ton of weird creatures before that her dad right. made. So she's kind of, you know, she's seen it before. She's like, oh, you're interesting, but by the way, I'm lost. It's, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of, so I wanted to have a real explanation. I wanted to intertwine these characters, but still make the original work stand up. Um, because one of the one of the appeals I felt to the Weirding Willows, and I've actually spoken to a lot of teachers, is that uh, you know you could put you could put the Weirding Willows into a classroom, and they can right. read it, they can see these characters, and they go, "Wow!" And the idea is, "Wow!" Like I want to read more of these characters. Oh, great! Glad you feel that way. Well, here's this book, Alice in Wonderland, so he can you can see what this Alice was doing before that book. And here's the Frankenstein monster. Here's the Jungle Book. Here's the Island of Dr. Moreau. The idea is it would be a leaping point for people to um, go and see the source material, while at the same time I was writing it as though it didn't really matter. It's, you, if, you have never, if you're not familiar with any of the characters, you can still read it and go, well, I've heard of these characters. I don't know what their stories are, but this is cool. Because I was right. writing it as a separate standalone story that didn't require 
the reading of the of the original material. So, uh, the, oh, go ahead. Well, that was all very cool how you put that together, Dave. And I must say, um, how did um, how do you think about students that that you envisioned seeing that and thinking? Amazing! All these literary stories happened in the same universe. Well, they didn't. They don't have to. But the idea is, you see, a, a lot of the inspiration was. I also thought about my childhood, like when I got into comics. Um, I, rem, I, you know, I rem, remember like reading Jack Kirby's Thor and seeing Jack, you know, Thor fight Hercules, and I go, "Wow, these these superheroes are really cool." And then finding out about mythology. And then I was like, wow, the idea of actually mixing two mythologies up. And, but then the way they, you know, Jack Kirby had turned them into superheroes. And I was like, wow. So I saw the, the superhero characters before I knew about the mythology. And the, that made the mythology even that much more interesting. And now I wanted to see other mythologies because, wow, aren't these cool? So with Weirdy Willows, I'm hoping that as books go on, people will actually start they'll seek out the source material and they'll go, wow, that's cool. And even potentially start to think of their own, like their own approach to, you know, taking something that's in public domain and doing their version of it themselves. And that's why I saw it so cool, Dave, because you, the thing is you don't have to put them all together in a single universe and many wouldn't. There's a lot of purest-minded people out there, but then there's crossoverists, like us as we call it, and I'm glad to see more and more writers who think it's cool rather than just, you know, not necessary. <laughs> well, the, well, the other thing that I wanted to do with, with Wading Willows is, you know, I, you know I, I have certain plans in my head where I want to go with it, and so really it's, to me, I'm launching something where as people... As, as the series goes on, you're going to see more and more new characters that's going to be outside of the characters you know. And so what I, the idea is that I'm going to have this kind of universe of characters where we will eventually see who, like, at, at some point down the road, I, I've already I've, I've planned, I don't know when I'm going to get to it, but I know who Alice's daughter is. Um, you know, I know who her husband will be. Um, I know the outcomes of. I know how Alice is, Alice dies. I know, I know what's in store for the Frankenstein's monster. Um, all these different different characters, how they all intertwine with each other, and even stories with their relatives in different time periods. So it's 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 kind of like that's all in my head. I've I've got all that worked out. So that actually brings me to my next question. Uh, I was going to say that there were six issues so far and a seventh digital issue, which is, and they're all in the trade. And I was going to ask, uh, will you be revisiting the Weird and Willows? But it sounds like you already have plans to do so. Yes, yes. Um, at the moment, it's funny. I've, I've kind of, I've, um, I've had a ton of interest in Weirding Willows for other media. So at the moment, I'm working on the second graphic novel, I'm working on the first Widding Willows novel, mm. and I've just finished, been working on the first draft of a potential Widding Willows TV show. Awesome. And, awesome. And, but the idea is, though, that I'm not, you know, one of the things I want to do is I don't want to keep covering the same ground. Like, if you look at, 
Mm. Um, you know, when like normally when you see sort of comic or movie adaptations, it's like, oh, well, here's the comic. Oh, okay, well, we'll just turn this into a TV show or a movie. And I'm going like, well, no, actually, that's let me just show you the world that I've created. And like, the idea is that you can watch the TV show, read the graphic novel or the graphic novels and realize that they're telling a different story. But they're set, but they're kind of all canon to the same thing. So you can actually get like the more of it you. So if you watch the TV show, and then read the books, you'll see the other side of certain events, and you'll see other things. And go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's that character. Oh, wow. Okay, that's going there. And the so, novel. So, so for once, the comic book and the TV show will be in the same world instead of alternate versions of the yes. same story. That yeah. is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so there's nothing... I, I love that. So so everything, the, they will stay in character. They will be the same characters, the same... This, um, but different stories, but set in, like, the same universe and same canon. So the idea is that, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's like how many times it's like, well, I've... I've, I've v Vendetta, I've read read the original comic book amazing saw the film that was pretty good too oh and there's a novelization as well that's three things all basically telling the same story what i'd like to do is well you know everything stands alone but it just becomes more when you when you look at the other mediums and you read the novel and you read the the graphic novels you realize like oh that's adding to the story that's adding to that's information i didn't have but i've got extra stories now and what happens on the TV show, for example, may eventually be reflected or referenced in the co- in a subsequent comic book? Um, referenced, yes. And certainly sometimes where there'll be a story where, which, like, for instance, if the TV show goes as planned, it will cross over through the middle of the graph, some couple of the graphic novels and keep intertwining. So it keep looping back in and out, but you'll see it from a complete different... Certain, there'll be certain scenes and certain instances that will be... You'll see that, and you go, oh, that's, a, that's, that's that scene from the graphic novel, but actually now we're seeing it from a different perspective, from a different character, as they go through that scene and go out in a different way. Very awesome and original. Usually they like to keep you know d- interpretations on different mediums separate, but here you're bridging the gap as readily as you bridge the gaps between alternate worlds in the story. Well, yeah, I just, it's, I, I think there's a, there's a way of doing all of this that you're, you're not constantly um, retelling the same story. So it's never getting like, oh, I know what's going to happen next because I read the book or anything. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, that's that sequence. And from the other side, that's where that character went. I wonder why I didn't see that character before again. You know, it's it's taking it it's it's taking it that way, and to me that, and just as someone who wants to be involved in all these different aspects of my creations, I, you know, it makes it much more varied and interesting for me. And I like how you interpreted Pellucidar, I must say, not literally um, inside the Earth, but a portal to another reality. Yeah, well, the see the idea is that, um, like. There's the the idea. The, the big reveal eventually will be there's seven seven worlds in seven different universes. Well, actually six different universes. There's two worlds in our world, but all the others are in different universes. 
and they're all linked because each of them has this a massive crystal um, in like that the planets have formed around. So there's these huge chunks. By huge, I'm talking about thousands of miles long. Like the one on Earth, it goes down to into the Earth at nearly two thousand miles. And the idea with it is these crystals are actually being drawn towards each other. They, even though they're in different universes, they're pulling it towards each other, which is why there's this nexus point where it's tearing open the universe between these different universes at this one point where in each of these worlds you can go from, from universe to universe because these crystals actually want they're, – they're part of something that was broken apart billions of years ago and hidden in different universes, and they all want to get back together again. Wow, very cosmic in scope, sort of like a, an interdimensional version of our solar system, if you think about it. Yeah, and but but again, we by when I started to look at that, and then I was like, well, there's got to be some sort of these are very powerful kind of magical crystals in these planets, so they've got to have an effect on people. And so that's why I thought what was cool is, great, I can have, you know, I've got Peter, Peter Rabbit, Benjamin Bunny, um, the, the Wind in the Willows characters, Badger Toad, Ratty and Mole, all in this world because one of the side effects of this crystal is in the immediate area nearby, any living animal that comes into its, into its, into its radius gets affected. They basically evolve up they can now talk, walk around, live like we do, providing they don't go leave the town. They're, they stay like that. So there's been generations of these creatures living there, having families, they have little houses. So I could incorporate all of that in, and they've actually turned out to be really fun characters. And any chance, possibly, Dave, we may be seeing even other universes introduced, like, let's say, um, maybe Santa Claus's North Realm or the Egyptian gods Heliopolis, etc.? Um, the, there's one of, the, one of the realms is, and rather than, uh, I, I created a, a universe with a single, very large world, where that's Elysium, where all the different gods live. So you've got the, the Norse gods, the Greek gods, the Aztec gods, and the Egyptian gods, all, they all have their own realm. That's in a separate realm. And so one of the, I'm not going to tell you who, but one of the, we've already seen, if you read the book, what, you've already seen one of the characters from that realm, but he's disguised as something else. He's already been, but he, he's actually a very well-known character in a certain mythology, and oh, he's I already don't. appeared. I think I know what you're planning there. I won't spoil, but I think I know. <laughs> well, it's, it's, see, the way I'm crossing it over is, um, to me, like, I, I look at things like um, the, uh, the Snow Queen, for instance. Uh, the Snow Queen, uh, her father, uh, it was actually Odin. Um, but it was very much as in the well, the way we know, we've heard of Odin is Odin would come to Earth, you know, hey, he'd have some fun, and then he'd go back again, not you know, not caring if he made the woman <laughs> pregnant or whatever. So in this particular instance, um, one of the worlds enticed Odin in, 
she all she wanted was to have a child, but she didn't want hit her husband. So, you know, and Odin was more than happy to, you know, hey, great, you don't want me to be a dad? Great, fine, I'll, yeah, as long as the wife doesn't find out, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> um, so it's like, you know, now we have, ah, so you've, you've, you've got this, the Snow Queen's daughter, the Snow Princess, has the power to freeze things, just as ways that her mother does, but her power is much stronger than her mother's even, because she's actually taken some power from Odin. So it's, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I'm bringing in, like, I'm, I'm overlapping the universes very much like that. Um, again, something that I, you know, uh, uh, just to give you an idea about how I'm merging things, for instance, the way I have uh, in the second book I'm working on, um, I'm bringing in the time traveler from H.G. Wells' Time Machine. Mm. And in that story, we've, when he goes to the future and we meet the Morlocks, we find out that also in the second book, we're going to introduce uh, some characters from uh, Neverland. And we're going to find out that uh, the Lost Boys from Neverland actually have become, they become the Morlocks mm. in the oh. future. Whoa. <laughs> because the way I have it is, you see, if you go back and look into a lot of people's suspicions and beliefs and just urban myths from Victorian era, like, you know, um, particularly on big estates or people who lived on the outskirts of London or big cities, they would always warn their children, like, well, you know, careful, don't go down to the bottom of the garden because the fairies will get you. So what I've done with that is I've taken it as like, well, yes, that's a genuine threat. Because what would happen is in Neverland, like Peter Pan, for instance, um, was once a human boy taken from our world and there's a and there's a kind of an initiation process that um, the humans are, when they bring these children through from our world to theirs. There's an kind of initiation process where they become this kind of elf and they become like an elf, the the fairy at that point. And but the process is a, it's got a fifty fifty chance of you turning into Peter Pan like a Peter Pan. The other fifty percent chance is you become a lost boy. And the Lost Boys are kind of a little bit more on the orcish side. They're more like orcs. They're kind of a little bit deformed. So it's kind of like you've got the pans who become very pretty and very, you know, thin and low. You know, they they can fly around. The orcs become a little bit deformed, ugly, strong. They become more like the soldiers, the army for for Neverland. So it's those kind of orc-like Lost Boys that end up escaping en masse in the future and start taking over the Earth in the far, far future. And then the time travel runs into them. Very cool. Uh, do you have any interesting reveal for the Eloy? No, they, I mean, it's, um, they are kind of, they, they are hum the human race that has just become trained to be food. You know, the, um, you know, it's the orcs 
and lost boys are tend to be they they like meat they they're meat eaters rather than grazers and you know they're not vegetarians in any way so they've got they've got that appetite so the the oiloid that's all they are they were they became they're the cattle of the future uh but we will see how the area around what is willow where where all the animals are that's actually expanded because obviously in the future with all the disasters you've all these wild animals have got out so there's zoo animals have got out so and the crystal somehow has expanded it's actually twice as big and it's actually sticking out the ground like a giant mountain so it's it's reach has grown um so there's a lot more animals um we're going to see lots more dogs in the future um uh, you know apes things like that that, that that's awesome. I love the I love the way you incorporated and explained like a lot of classic literature, all these different fairy tale worlds, and um, you know the travel to them and talking animals. And I mean, it's it's just it's just brilliant. And I'm really looking forward to the uh, the show. It's very innovative how you how you're going to connect the the show and the comics. It's a great payoff for the comic book readers. Uh, you know, for those for those who only watch the shows, you know the comic book readers will be like, "Ha ha! I know something." You know, <laughs> you know, um, it's wonderful. Um, so, the Wedding well, Willows was a spinoff from from uh, the A One anthology, uh, right. which was Atomica Press and Titan Comics, um, and A A A One was a digital series. Um, no, Weirding Willows was a digital series, right? But A One was the print version. Is that correct? That's or correct. Yes. Sure? No, that's correct. Yeah, we did A One presents, and there was three strips in it. There's Weirding Willows. There was Carp Diem, which was my friend's strip about uh, the it, the idea of um, a, a league of assassins, um, each named after a day of the week. And then the the third strip was mine again. Uh, I did with the artist Gary Gastoni, who did the vault for Image and Super Gods with Warren Ellis. Um, that was called uh, the Odyssey. Now, now the Odyssey was a, a neat one. Um, that was yours, also, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah. Sorry. Well, it was. Like, like a lot of things, like I, um, a few years ago um, with um, uh, Steve Pugh and uh, a writer, Michael Town, we did it, the three of us together did a book called Shark Men. And it start, that started out as, you know, you look at the cover of it and we, we really did try to, like we, we really tried to sell it on the idea of this is an underwater Batman. Mm. But what we did was we, rip that to shreds by the end of the first issue so we pulled you in we got you thinking like oh well yeah we're selling it like basically it's like we're coming out and pretty much say this is an underwater batman but you get into it and, you, and then we rip that out from under you at the end of the first issue and it's like whoa and then it's like so it's it's the force you know sometimes sometimes in the comics industry you do kind of because it's they love superheroes you you know it's like you've it's like giving somebody something 
that they think is one thing, and then you pull it away. But you've got them right. in at that point. So Odyssey was the same thing. It was like, you know, I'd have it out, and people would go like, oh, man, you, you do Captain America? I'm going, that's not Captain America. Right. And, what? and they look down, and it's like, oh, who's that? No, it's not. Who's it? And it's called, well, his name's Blazing Glory. And, it is actually, and it's actually a character I created um, back in 1985. Um, so he's, I've had a couple of short stories out for, for you know, way back. Um, but what I did with him is I took it, like, I, so people, you know, you see the ads, you see this superhero, like, you know, storming up the beach with soldiers and he's or leaping off the cover. But when you actually start reading it, it immediately goes into horror. It's a supernatural. And, like, because what, like, we all seen that opening sequence. It's like, oh, we're Captain America. It's like, oh, he gets injected with the serum, and then they put him in that thing. They bake him, kind of, and he comes out, and he's, like, four times the big, as big, and he's super strong. Well, um, uh, Blazing Glory, or, you know, his, the character's name is John Wilson, he gets infected with the serum, and the entire purpose of the serum is to kill. They're actually killing soldiers. And what they do is they wheel him into a room, and what's happening is there's the whole pentagram on the floor. The idea of killing these soldiers are to be host bodies to something beyond our world. Something that can't step foot unless it's within a human host. And they're killing people, but it doesn't, it very rarely works. So sometimes in this instance, they literally have to kill dozens, even hundreds of people before they can find someone who gets in. And so they've killed a whole bunch of soldiers and they, they get John Wilson in there. He dies. And they're all like, oh, it didn't work. The being, the entity that we wanted to take jump in this guy's body couldn't get in. All right, let's get the next one in. And they wheel him off and they throw him into this big pile where there's like 50, 100 other bodies. But then his eyes open and they light up. And there's this huge explosion of flame. Everyone comes running down to see what's happening. There's this guy standing at this bottom of the pit. All the other bodies have disappeared. And he's standing at the bottom going like, what's going on? What did you put me down here for? And then it's like, whoa. So they don't know now. They're like, well, did something come in? Did it not? Is he one of ours? Is he the other guy's right. team? And, and so this guy, they sort of don't know what to do. So, so they basically, but they do find out that he's actually very strong. So they put him back out, you know, in the field. He's, he's, he's a soldier. He carries on doing being a soldier. He's out in the field. And after the war, he goes through. He, he goes through every war. He'll go through the Korea War. He goes through the Vietnam War. Um, he fought through the Iraq, both Iraq wars. And he's never aged a day. And he's got all this strength. And it's so the story is like, well, something happened to him that day. He died. He came back to life. The mythology in the story is who. Who is, you know, there's the, the, basically it's a story between angels and demons. And the only way angels and demons can come to earth is through host bodies. And the only reason that they're interfering with earth at all 
is because we find out that God's actually disappeared. He disappeared a couple hundred years ago. They can't find him. And now it's a case that they presume he's never coming back. Some of the angels are still like, well, God may have gone, but we're still going to protect the earth. Others are going like, well, why do we need to protect the earth anymore? God's gone. We can just like, let's just screw this thing up because this is the thing we always got. You know, God never let us touch this. God never let right. you know, it was we're here to protect it, but we don't get anything. So let's just do what we want. And then there's the fallen angels already who are like, well, we've been here. We figured this out ages ago. We've been actually been coming to earth, taking host bodies for years. So they're kind of, they're, they're building up to this big war and they're going to like, it's just, earth is just a playground for them. And then you have this guy who's got the strength of 200 men and they're like, whose side is he on? Right. And, when they, and when they figure out, he gets to a point where he's, it's, it it gets a little a little political in that he's he reaches a point where he's questioning now what he's being asked to do and we find out that some of these angels and demons have reached places in high office where they're actually using him to do things on their behalf and he just he's a good soldier he just does what he's told and now he's kind of going why i don't get it i like this isn't what I'm supposed to do. And eventually they get to the point where it's like, we at least, we, we can't kill him because he's this huge, well-known soldier that everyone loves. So first off, we've got to kick him out of the army. Let's get him out of the army to start with. And now we're going to pull him down. And once we pulled him down, then we can get rid of him. So that's kind of where it will, that's, like the first book is the setup, and then we're going to be following on later from um, his once he's kicked out the army imagine you're someone who hasn't aged since 1942 and everything you know has disappeared you've never had a home outside military bases you've got a ton of money because you've been paid all that time and never had to spend it because you've never been out of off a so it's, he's actually very rich he's actually very wealthy but he doesn't He's, he doesn't think about that. He's more like, I signed up. He lied about his age. He got into the army early. He wanted to fight for his country, and now he doesn't know what it is. And it's him deciding, like, well, what is it? The, this this country's changed. I mean, do I? If I'm going to fight, if I'm going to continue fighting, who am I going to? Why am I fighting? That's going to be his big. That's that's his motive for for going on. It's like what what am I doing here and why am I here? Because now he's finally going to cut, start questioning. He's kind of taking it for granted that he's never aged. He's just kept on doing whatever he's done, and it's he believes in God. He's a very he's, he's a very religious soldier, and always but believes that you know he should do what he's told. And now for the first time, he's questioning everything. Some pretty cool themes there with uh, theology and politics. Yeah, uh, actually, yeah. and 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 something that should appeal to you guys: the crossover aspect. The serum he's given at the beginning is actually—I um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with a book called *Gladiator* by Philip Wiley. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. Superman inspiration. Exactly. Well, his hit the serum comes from. The last remaining, because um, when Hugo Danner dies, 
the professor Dana, uh, the professor who's who's with him at the end of the book, is the guy who keeps hold of the body and is figuring out, well, how do I create? Because at the end of the book, it's left with this. He meets this professor who's going to like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to make more of you. You're going to have friends. I'm going to make more. You won't be alone anymore. And that's when he gets struck down by lightning. Well, right. This, this picks up where it's like, oh my god. Well, he's dead. But let me take what blood I can from him. Let me see if I can figure out a way to make more of these. And every time they use it, they're killing people. But it's a couple of a couple of these entities have come in and taken over the bodies of people he's killed. So it's like. Wow, it's like this. There's something about this blood is able to give strength, but it also helps let these other things in. Cool. So we're we're almost out of time, but I, I wanted to ask you. I read something on the internet, so it must be true. Uh, <laughs> you're working on a project with Fallout Boy. Oh no, true? I did that, that. No, I did. I I did that. Yes, it was. Um, we did a miniseries uh, for Image Comics. Um, it was um, it was called Fallout Toy Works. Um, and if actually, if you Google it, um, uh, I we've put the we put the entire graphic novel up for free on Keenspot. There's a website. Oh. Uh, there's a website called Keenspot. We put the entire graphic novel up for free, so you can read the whole book for free. It's awesome. <laughs> it's just like wow, that's a that, that's a crossover itself <laughs> of mediums, you know. Um, well, that was yeah. I mean, um, Full Light Toy Works was kind of very. Um, it was actually uh, written by Brett Lewis, a wonderful writer who's done some. Uh, hasn't done an amazing amount of stuff, but what he has done has been awesome. He's uh, and the artist was Sammy Basri, who um, did a great run on. Uh, Power Girl and Supergirl, and it was also eventually became the artist of Weeding Willows. Nice, and and you know, uh, there's so much more I want to talk to you about, but we are running short. I mean, you've had an extensive history in comics. We've talked about your more recent works, but you you've been in the industry for a long time: writer, editor, inker, editor, uh, artist, publisher, uh, Tomica Press. Uh, you know, you've done a lot. Um, yeah, radical and, uh, publishing. Yeah, you, <laughs> you you've got your creds. <laughs> so yeah. before, before before we end, is there any other past, present, or future work that we didn't discuss that you'd like our listeners to know about? Um, well, there is the there's a, a project that I'm working on right now. That um, one of the things I like one of the things I've always felt about comics is you know a lot of people have said that hey, comics just need a better place, a better platform mm. uh, um, to expand. Like it's, you know, when the digital comics, everyone thought the digital comics was going to be like, wow, like the whole universe is going to be reading comics now. And he didn't. Um, and I think that's actually, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a very good reason for that because I think too many people in comics forget that the mentality of the diehard comic reader who goes along to, who's down at the comic shop every Wednesday They've been trained and they're wired very differently from someone who's in the mainstream, who's mass market, who's, you know, 
you know, if, if you can actually equate the drop-off on comics with, if you go back and look at, you know, those, the done-in-one comic, the, hey, I've read this comic, well, that was really good, I've read Batman, this Batman comic, and now I, you might not actually end up reading another Batman comic for six months, and then when you pick it up, it's a self-contained comic again, it's like, wow, this is awesome, and uh, it's great, and, and so it's kind of like, um, you know, the more extensive these storylines and crossover in this entire universe that you have to like know everything of, that's actually that's actually been detrimental um, because it's it's you can't just get in get a good taste. Oh, this is great! Oh, I want more of this. It's like, oh, where am I? I've come in and I don't know where I am. I, uh, okay, I'm I'm done. So we're uh, with some friends. We're creating a, uh, a new platform, a new and kind of a new way of doing comics. And so we're hoping to launch that next year. Um, in uh, and we're kind of we're going to take on the mass market. We're going to try and penetrate the mass market with um, a new comic platform. Uh, right. It'll be both print yeah, I- and digital. I miss those days. I, you know, when when I was a kid, you know, like you said, I could pick up an issue of Action Comics, and then go like three months without reading Action Comics, and then pick up another issue of Action Comics, and I could, you know, follow along. I knew I knew enough of the mythology. I didn't need to know what happened in the last three issues. Uh, well, do you mean pick up issue twenty? You pick up part twenty-seven of a thirty-seven part series. Exactly. Exactly, and. <laughs> And again, I also want to sort of think about like, one of the places that heavy metal used to have in the comic as a you know for your comic reading material. It was for the back at its height when it was selling like a hundred thousand plus copies an issue. Um, at that time, it, again, just like those when you pick up an issue of Action Comics, those people who are buying those. The majority of people who were buying back then were just those people that would buy maybe, maybe they might be buy twenty comics a year, but they be, could be potentially be twenty different comics. They just went to read something that particular time, right? And and heavy metal's audience, a big chunk of heavy metal's audience, that one magazine filled all their. That was that was the only comic they needed to read. That was it. That was the one comic they read. They didn't read anything else, and that was fine with them. That was great. Oh, we love this. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't particularly want any more than that because this just is just perfect. So it's kind of getting into that where giving people something that could potentially be the only comic they read. They don't need to read anything else, but at the same time, giving them regular characters that they can come back to. So it's like, wow, that was a great story. I, oh, there's going to be another story next in the next issue? Great. Okay, yeah, I must get that next issue. Well, the serialized nature of comic books is... I think one reason why they endure, people keep coming back for the next part of the story. I'll tell you what, for me, one of the periods where I felt that comics was just just right, just to me was just right, was kind of in that period where um, the X-Men had just been relaunched. You had originally it was Len Wein and Dave Cockrum, and then it became Chris Claremont and John Byrne. And it was around that period where, you know, in a comic, in that in twenty pages, you actually, even though the stories might be two or three parters, you you 
you got a big chunk of something. You read mm. something. You even if you had a character arc story would take place in that issue. The bigger story would go on for three or four issues, but you got right. you got you you felt you really felt you read something. And I think that is the kind of sweet spot where if you can do like oh here's a here's a one off story, but it kind of the, there's a story that kind of go there's an overarc that goes on to the next issue. You've got a second story in that second issue, but it kind of also wraps up that other story. And then you've got like a three-part story or four-part story. But again, within those stories, there's something. That, to me, is that kind of sweet spot. It's when when you used to watch um, a lot of TV shows always had two stories running through it. There would be the threat. Say on Star Trek, there'd be the threat, but there'd also be a, something going on between two characters, also at the same time. So you were kind of getting, you were bouncing back between two stories, and they both got resolved at the end. And I think that sort of approach to me is because, you know, again going back to to, to the way a lot of us probably got into reading comics is. We, we were reading those Dunham ones, and as we got older, we, we, we were into, like, yeah, let's, let's, we'll keep coming back. Oh, they, you've got longer stories. Great. Oh, this is cool. This is cool. I must get the next issue for that. But that's actually ignoring how do you get new readers in. That readers have got to keep coming in, with, and that's what the Dunham one stories are so great for, is to get those in. But you can't treat them like well, here's the adventures, here's Batman adventures, and then, but the real Batman comic is for us grown-ups. Like, you know, any of us who've got kids or, or have siblings who, like, if we're the older one, how many times, or even if, if you had older siblings, it's like, like, you wanted to read what they were reading. You wanted to listen to what right. they were listening to. Like, so it was, so, so that's why so often things are marketed um, they when they market something for say fifteen to sixteen year olds, they know that their real market is twelve and fourteen year olds. Right. That's what they they know. That's they they know what they're doing. You know when when a when a book says, you know, oh this book is for twelve to sixteen year olds. Yeah, sure, ten year olds are going to read that. Of course they right. are. Right. Oh, it's, that's yeah. I, I don't want to read a book that says ten year olds on it or nine year olds. I want to read a book that's older. So, but they know that they know that's what they're doing. The publishers know that's what they, they know that's what's happening. Of course, yeah. Right, just like PG thirteen movies were being. You know, my my son was watching PG thirteen movies when he was ten, eight, nine. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, I and you I know, saw, I think of a lot of ten year olds at uh, Deadpool. Yeah, no. Look, see, the yeah. thing is, look, I have I've got two daughters and. I've taken them when they were when they were young. I mean, they're they're both in their twenties now. But when they were when they were young, you know, I we we went to uh, we went to see the Matrix films. And because you see, the thing is, to me, it's it's knowing that okay, the Matrix was over the top. To me, that was a cartoon movie, and they I know that they were going to accept it as such. I wouldn't take them to a hard R where it's all as explicit. Oh, there's sex, swearing, stuff. But you know, I know why that. I know why the Matrix got an R because hey, there's a lot of gun shooting in it. Yeah, and bloodshed. But 
you know, I also know how I raise my kids. So it was kind of like, you know, they know to laugh at that. It's like, I, you know, again, when they were young, we sat down and we sat and watched, you know, it was fun to watch Alien and Predator with them and Terminator. Like, you know, we're all under the blanket on the couch and had a great time. Um, but it's, they, and I guess it's like knowing their dad's into comic books and action figures. They got to play with the Terminator action figures and Robocop action figures before they saw the movies. So to them, it's a toy. It's like, oh, it's definitely a comic character. It's like we're going to see a comic-y character. Right. And, you know, back to your other point, um, you know, on, um, like, like ser- certain series, like even with TV, I'm more likely to watch, like, Supernatural. If I miss a few episodes, I'll still watch the latest episode because there's usually a story uh, that a one a story within the story, like a one part contained story, as well as the story arc. Yeah, and I still enjoy it. Whereas The Walking Dead, I'm still like way back in like several seasons in the past because if you miss an episode, you're screwed. So so I don't watch it at all. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's like look, I, I saw I saw I saw um, sub, you know Captain America Civil War, loved it. But a friend of mine says to me, like, hey, is, was it any good? I'm going, yeah, oh, oh, I'll go and see it. And I said, you have seen Winter Soldier, right? And they were going, like, well, I tried watching it. And I was like, I, I, you know, I was, it was on TV, and I, 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 I fell asleep halfway through it. Okay, well, you're ha- going to have to watch Winter Soldier before you see Civil War. <laughs> and it's kind of, yeah. that's the thing we're going to have to watch with the, these movies, is, like, anyone, when Avengers Infinity War comes out, it's like it's going to be a great payoff for all of us who have sat through 14, 15 movies so far. Right. But right. people walking in and they're going to like, what? <laughs> what's going on here? I mean, we heard that with The Force Awakens. When The Force Awakens opened, it was, it works as a, it, like, yeah, you can go in and see that movie cold. Right, right. But there was a ton of people who were like, oh man, I've been meaning to watch the, the previous movies, and I, oh man, I can't go and see it until I've seen them. Damn it, I wanted to see it. I was, I'm getting spoilers, and but I don't know what I'm being spoiled for because I haven't watched the original movies. Okay, uh, so we, we're gonna wrap up. Uh, before we end, though, uh, where can our listeners find your projects on social media? Where can they where can they follow your work? Um, some of it, obviously, like some of it, I've hinted at today that I I'm not sharing anywhere. Um, but you can find me if you. If you actually just Google uh, Dave Elliott, which is D E V E L I O T as one word, um, that's where I'll come up on Twitter, I'll come up on Wattpad, I'll come up on DeviantArt. Um, so that's kind of the the main social media platforms I work on. And Atomic cool. and uh, Atomic Art at uh, on I have a Facebook page Atomic Art. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, it was a, it was a real pleasure, and I, I I even let the show go a little bit long because I love listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, that's the, that's the thing about us guys who have been in the industry a long time. We've got lots of stories, lots of stories. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I actually only got to like half my questions for you because we just ran, ran out of. Because <laughs> I just uh, it was just so fascinating. It was so. Uh, we're definitely going to have to have you on again at some point. Uh, happy, happy to be come back. Just let me know when. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, so we're going to go to commercial, and we'll be right back. Thank you again, Dave. No, my pleasure. Take care. Thank you. 
All right, we're back, and unfortunately, that's about all the time we've got left. Uh, join us next week. We'll be joined by filmmaker Jesse Thomas Cook. Before we want to end, I want to thank our sponsor, Big Belly Burgers, as well as our mysterious benefactor, who sponsored all our shows for May. Special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show theme music, Leaf on a Stream. Thanks to all who listened. Remember to subscribe to and rate our shows on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Good night. <laughs>